Hey there, Jared here. I hope that this episode finds you preparing to celebrate a very Merry Christmas uh, with your family or however you choose to celebrate the holiday season. Uh, I'm excited about bringing you this special edition episode, and the timing seems right uh, now to present this, because obviously we've got this big gap between the Tennessee Tech game and the Youngstown State game, so that's a week without uh, any shows. We'll be back with Assembly Call Radio on Thursday. Uh, and plus, it's Christmas, and so I think for uh, for many of you, if you're like me, if you're like Andy Bottoms, uh, who grew up with the 1993 team, uh, kind of being our favorite, certainly our favorite IU basketball team, and for some of us, our favorite sports team, then getting an episode dedicated to talking about the 1993 Hoosiers is probably the best Christmas present that we could present to you. So uh, we wanted to do that. You know, but here's how this came about is a couple of weeks ago, I was going to be gone. And I was kind of scrambling because I, I, I wasn't sure that we were going to be able to do an episode of Assembly Call Radio because I didn't know if me or Andy was going to be able to host it. And obviously we needed something. I mean, we've got sponsors. We've obviously got you know radio stations who are running our show. We needed to give them something. And so I was going to do a special edition talking about the 1993 team uh, because this is the 25th anniversary of that incredible team, that incredible season, really a culmination of, of two outstanding seasons because they went to the final four the year before. Um, and so it's the 25th anniversary. And so I wanted to do something special. And so I called up some folks that I knew would have some great insight about that team. Uh, Bill Murphy, who I'm sure you know, who has written countless books about IU sports. Galen Clavio, who has uh, guest hosted a couple episodes of Assembly Call for us this year and is the host of Crimson Cast over at thehoosier.com. And then, of course, Chris Williams, who runs the IU Artifacts Twitter account and who uh, writes the IU Artifacts articles for our site. Uh, all three of those guys you know, grew up with that team just like I did, have vivid memories of that season. And so called up all three of those guys. We had some great chats, uh, but I didn't end up needing to use that content that week because it turned out uh, we were able to get an episode of Assembly Call Radio. So I've had these recordings sitting on my computer for about a month, and I've been trying to figure out what to do with them. And so this seemed like the the best way to put those recordings out there. Uh, like I said, kind of as a little Christmas present, a good way to fill the gap between shows. And, you know, I hope for you, like it was for me participating in these conversations, that if you are, you know, an IU fan in your mid-30s, you know, like I am and like Andy is, or older, and you really got to experience those two seasons, the 91-92 season, the 92-93 season. Because really, when you talk about the 93 team, it's pretty easy for the memories of 91-92 to kind of get mixed in there as well. And so you often end up talking about both of those teams. But if you have memories of those teams, if you, you know, certainly if you were there, if you were going to the games, I really hope that this episode is kind of a trip down memory lane and jogs some of those memories. Because what's really interesting is, you know, I, I again I talk with Bill and with Chris and with Galen, and they all have different memories. Like different things jump out to them, uh, and it's really interesting to see kind of how each person experienced those teams and what each person recollects and what stands out the most. And so that's really interesting. And you know, just as importantly, if you're a younger IU fan and maybe you've just heard people talk about that team, 
uh, or maybe just generally, you know, you see the banners and you hear people talking about how I use this blue blood program, but you haven't really experienced it, uh, you know, outside of the 2013 season and maybe that 2002 run to the final four. Well, this will give you an idea of what it was like when Indiana basketball was really humming. I mean, obviously the 93 team didn't win at all, but again, the 92 team made it to the final four and it was really supposed to be the next great Bob Knight team. You know, Indiana won it all in 76. They won it all in 81. They won it all in 87. You know, you had the, those five, six-year gaps. It's like you win, you reload, you win again. And this was supposed to be that again. You know, after the 87 championship, uh, you know, you, you get this great recruiting class in 89. Uh, and, and they were supposed to deliver that next championship and came close. Uh, and obviously, a lot of us believe that were it not for some untimely injuries and maybe even some untimely uh, officiating that Indiana, you know, th this group of players might have hung another banner. But, you know, regardless, that obviously would have been the icing on the cake for those teams. And we all wish that that had happened. Uh, but it doesn't and it would have added to the memory. But the fact that they didn't win doesn't lessen any of the memory, certainly for me, as obviously a very impressionable sports fan at the time, as I was 11 years old, you know, watching these teams. I mean, Calbert Chaney and Greg Graham, and Chris Reynolds and, uh, you know, and Matt Nover and Brian Evans and Eric Anderson and all the guys, you know, Pat Graham, Damon Bailey, Alan Henderson. Goodness gracious, it's so easy to forget how many great players were on those teams. Uh, and you go back just a few years prior and you've got greats like Jay Edwards. But, you know, those guys were larger than life to, to young me. And in some ways, they still are today. And there's something about those relationships that we develop with the sports teams and the athletes when we're young that just prove indelible and, and, and prove to be just kind of a, a chain in our mind and in our emotions that can never be broken. And I don't know that there's anything that can happen in IU basketball from this point forward. There's certainly lots of things that can happen that would be exciting, that would be memorable, that I would love to experience. I don't think anything can ever surpass what I felt, you know, as a fan in those days going to those games, watching those teams. And so, look, it was a real joy for me to participate in these conversations. I hope it's a pleasure for you to listen to them. Uh, I didn't go through and edit. You know, I didn't have a ton of time to put this together. Um, so, you know, each of these conversations, I'm just letting it run as it is with a, a quick little transition in between. So it's a long episode. Uh, you know, obviously get through as much of it as you want. We're going to go in order uh, from my conversation with Bill Murphy to then the conversation with Galen to then the conversation with Chris. Uh, but I hope you enjoy it. And I hope as you're listening or when you're done listening, send me a tweet or send me an email. Let me know your favorite memory of those 93 teams. I, I love reminiscing, so you could never uh, annoy me or overdo it, <laughs> sending me a thought or a uh, you know, or, or anything about the, the 93 team. So, uh, so have fun listening to this. I hope it's a nice little, uh, a nice little way to fill the gap between IU games. And, uh, yeah, so without further ado, uh, I present you my conversation now with the great Bill Murphy about the 93 Indiana Hoosiers. Hello. 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 Hello, Jared. Hey, is this Bill? Yeah, this is Bill, Jared. Hey, How you Bill. doing? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. I'm doing fantastic. I'm excited about talking about this team tonight. I tell you, this is one of the all-time great Bob Knight teams and one of the all-time great IU teams, truthfully. Boy, well, I was talking to someone. Yo, go, go, yeah, keep go going. Ahead. I, was, I was talking to someone 
today about the depth of talent that that team has. And, and quite honestly, I don't think that since 93 that we've seen, and I know somebody would argue with me and say, well, you know, we went to the final game against Maryland. I, I don't think that IU has seen the depth of talent in a basketball team that that team had since then, tr- to be honest with you. Oh, I don't even, when think, you I don't even think that's together. debatable. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it was, that team was incredible. Well, I mean, you had, f- what, five probably top, I mean, certainly top 50 players in school history because you had Greg Graham, Calvert Chaney, Damon Bailey, Alan Henderson, Brian Evans. I mean, no matter how you slice right. it, those guys are top 30 probably players in IU history right there. Well, I would say, I would say they're top 50. Yeah. I would definitely say, I mean, you know, with Chaney, you've got one of the top all-time players. Yep. And then with Greg and Bailey, you've got top 20 players there. And then... Henderson's and with Henderson probably top too. 10. So, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I wouldn't, you know, I'm the old guy here. I don't think I'd put Henderson top 10 <laughs> when I know some of the players we've had. You know me. Yeah. We've talked before. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, an, an incredible team. It really was. It really was. So when you, when you think back about that team, I mean, obviously, you know, the first thing that, that comes to mind is just the, the incredible talent. The, the togetherness, I mean, obviously it was a group, the core of that group had been together a lot, but what, what do you think about first? Like, what are your first memories just of watching that team play? Well, uh, first of all, watching that team play is how exciting they were to watch, how well they played together as a team and how well they got along together. I mean, you know, you're talking about Calvert Chaney who became uh, the player of the year that particular year was the MVP in the Big Ten, was Indiana's MVP, was the MVP of the preseason NIT tournament, and turns around after they get home from the NIT championship game, in which they beat Seton Hall, and Calvert had 36 points in that game. Seton Hall was number six in the nation at the time and before that they had beaten florida state which was number seven and calvert had 34 so i mean you've got this incredible run that calvert had in the tourney and he turns around and gives his all tourney team plaque to pat graham because of what pat had done uh against florida state before he got hurt but these guys all they clicked together i would i would go in and see them at the Big Wheel restaurant for old-time IU uh, guys that they would be eating together as a team. They just, they just really got along. They really did. And they were just so exciting. And I think about all of the close games that they won. I think of the January 12th game when we're at Michigan and Weber, Chris Weber gets a ball five feet from the basket with us ahead 76-75. And the last second, he's just going to lay it up, and Michigan's going to win the game. And Henderson comes out and swats that ball away, yeah. and we win 76-75. You know, or, Such a great moment. Or, or, yeah, that was an absolutely great moment. Or when Allen goes down and we're playing Purdue uh, the next day after Henderson – 
goes down with the leg injury and he, the knee, and and he's gone. And Greg Graham steps up, a guy that averaged 16 points a game during the season, had been averaging about 16 points. And the last six games, Greg averages 25 points a game. And in that Purdue game, he gets 20, he gets 32 points on 26 out of 28 from the free throw line. I mean, it was incredible. I was you at know, that. I was at that game. More shots. It was mind-boggling. Oh, I know. I it reminded me because I, obviously I was at that game. Of, um, most of them, you know, and it reminded me of watching back in '81 when Ted Kitchell put on a shooting performance when he hit 18 free throws out of 18 free throws and hit 11 out of 13 shots from the field for 40 points against Illinois. I mean, uh, Kitchell went 29 for 31 shooting-wise. And that's what Greg's free throw uh, percentage looked like in that game against Purdue. And, And Brian Evans, the freshman of the group, comes in off the bench having to take Henderson's place and scores 20 points in that game. So the thing that stands out in my mind are the close victories against really good teams. The fact that that team went 31 and four and played 16 top 25 teams during the season and how well they played together as a group and how well they got along both on and off the court. And and then the other thing that, you know, I take great pride in uh, as a Hoosier fan is the fact that in the Big Ten's history, there have only been four teams to ever win 17 games or more in the Big Ten schedule. And that, of course, was the 53 team that was 17-1, and one the 93 team that was 17 and one and the 75 and 76 teams that were 18 and zero, yep. So they all belong to IU. Yeah. So that's awesome. So let me ask you this, you know, you, you mentioned something really sure. interesting there about the, the camaraderie and the closeness of the guys. And look, we know that it was a very unique collection of skill. I mean, the core of that team, you know, came in as that seven man recruiting class that was, you know, one of the best ever, certainly, you know, one of the best ever in school right. history, maybe one of the best ever nationally. And, and then, you know, you added other pieces, obviously, after that. A guy like Alan Henderson, who's a legend in IU high school basketball, Damon Bailey, <laughs> goes without saying, Brian Evans, obviously. Right. So we know that it was a unique collection of talent that Bob Knight put together. To what do you attribute the closeness and the maturity of that group? Was that just a unique collection of individuals in terms of their maturity and closeness? Or was there, was there something else that led to that team being so close? Well, I think there are a couple of things you can contribute to that. First of all, it was the character of the players. You had a group of players that were really, I mean, as an IU fan or alumni, however you want to be or whatever you were, you had to have tremendous pride in the quality of people that those guys were. I mean, they were just really quality people. You take both Chris Reynolds and Alan Henderson were all academic Big Ten players. You had Greg Graham and Pat Graham, who were both Indiana high school all-stars. And you had Calvert Chaney, who 
after a, a really late night game would be going to class the next day on time at an early morning class. So you had guys that would stop and talk to kids in uh, the union building. You had guys that were, were just class act. I mean, that's just all you can say about them is they were class act group of, of kids. They really were. And a lot of these guys had played uh, AAU ball together and they just, they just clicked. So I think, I think it was partially, of course, coach Knight really knew how to mold teams together. So you've got to give coach Knight credit for that. But I think, and coach Knight went out and really recruited top notch kids as well as athletes. So I think the fact that nine of these kids were from the state of Indiana, so they knew each other well. They had played with and against each other. They were really, really great citizens, really, really top-notch citizens and and people. And then uh, they just all came together. Yeah. You know, the other thing that, as I reflect back on that season, I mean, the basketball was incredible. You know, the individual players, you know, so great. The other thing about that season is Indiana was really just at the epicenter of college basketball that year. You know, not just being the number one team, but you had other stuff. You know, you had Nick Nolte being there, you know, doing research for his role in Blue Chips. chips. Yeah, and you had, you know, just just other kind of iconic moments in IU history like the Ivan Rinko thing and, you know, Bob Knight being the exclamation point when they said thank you at the the practice before the first game. Like, like there was was a lot of extra stuff. Like, what all comes to your mind when it comes to that? Because there was was obviously... show on the court but it was so interesting that there was there was kind of this extra stuff that just added a special layer to that season well jared you're exactly right um when i was doing the article and they only had (laughs) they only had so many words that they wanted me to put into the article so there were things that we had to leave out but that's that's why we're doing a two-hour show here so (laughs) (laughs) you really brought up a good point because there were things like a lot of people forget Blue chips. Yeah. You know, that these guys, uh, the seniors took part in this. And of course, Matt Nover became Ricky Rowe. Funny story <laughs> is uh, a few years later, I was an assistant coach for the, the grads that would play the Indiana high school all-stars to get ready for the Kentucky Indiana high school all-star uh, games. Yeah. And I'm sitting there on the bench as they're warming up. And some of the high school kids came running by and they said, we're playing against Ricky Rowe tonight. <laughs> they, they didn't say Matt Nover. They're like, we're playing Ricky Rowe, you know. So you had the blue chips and that just cracked me up. So you, you have the blue chips thing. Uh, in a very sad note, though, it was kind of, it was a huge honor to IU. If you remember, that was the year that Chris Street, from oh, Iowa right. yeah. was killed on January the 19th yeah. in that accident. And just, at, just a couple weeks after IU and Iowa had played because they were the, if I remember correctly, I, I think I do. They were the first um, team that we played in the big 10 that year. Mm-hmm. And that was at home. 
And then we went to Iowa on February the 6th, and that was the night that the Street family had asked Iowa to honor Chris. Mm. You know, it had been it had been a couple weeks after he had uh, been killed in this accident, but they wanted it to be they wanted him to be honored and to have his jersey retired against Indiana because he enjoyed playing against IU so much and respected our program so much. So that was another big thing that happened that particular oh, yeah. year. And then a thing a lot of people uh, would forget, but uh, it sticks out in my mind uh, forever, is that uh, February um, 9th game when we were at Happy Valley playing against Penn State. And with 19 seconds to go, Penn State has the ball and a two-point lead. Mm -hmm. And this is the 10th game in the Big Ten, and we haven't lost yet in the Big Ten. And on that particular event, with 19 seconds to go, a guy named Greg Bartram uh, for Penn State gets the ball, and Chris Reynolds, beautiful, I mean, Absolutely, this is what Chris brought to the team also was his basketball IQ. He gets right up next to Bartram yeah. and actually grabs his jersey and pulls Bartram on him, and they get the foul on Bartram, and we get the ball back. Yep, I remember We that. get the ball back without having to foul and let Penn State take a couple of free throws. We get the ball back. We then Greg Graham got fouled on the three pointer. He hit two of the three to put it into overtime, and we eventually won eighty eight to eighty four in double overtime. Yeah. So those are some of the, you know, those are classic things that happened that particular year. Uh, beating Michigan twice when Michigan was was number one team in the nation at the time. Yeah. Um, Fab five. The Fab Five, and we beat them twice. Yeah, we beat them twice, and and that was a tremendous feat. And like I said, playing sixteen ranked teams. Now think about that. You've got thirty five games. Sixteen of them, almost almost half of them, were against top twenty five teams, and you win all but three of those games. And the two losses we had before the Big Ten season started, the five-point loss to Kansas at the at that time, the Hoosier Dome, you know, we, we should have beaten Kansas. We hit four out of 13 free throws that game, and that wasn't yeah. common for that team. Jeez, yeah. And then against Kentucky, when we lost by three at Freedom Hall in Louisville, we were 18 for 36 from the free throw line. Jeez. So you take those – yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You've got a team of really good free throw shooters. A guy like Greg Graham, who against Purdue hits 26 out of 28. You've got really good free throw shooters, and we miss four. Out of, we get four out of 13 against Kansas, and 18 out of 36 against Kentucky. Yeah. So just say you know that you normally hit those shots. You know you win those games, but that happens. I can remember back in '65 when Michigan was number one and they came into IU and, and we had them and we lost in double overtime, 96 to 95. And that was a team that shot tremendously from the free throw line. And they had a night where they couldn't hit free throws. So, 
Man. Those things happen. You know, I, you, you mentioned back uh, a few minutes ago about Blue Chips and Matt Nover being Ricky Rowe. And I just remember the like when I first watched the movie, and obviously everybody just couldn't wait when that movie came out because there's been there'd been so much hype in Bloomington about it, you know, and getting to see Nick Nolte and, you know, what little elements of Coach Knight would he have. But I just remembered when they did that scene uh, with Matt Nover as Ricky Rowe and he's out shooting, you know, kind of Jimmy Chitwood-esque on his little like outdoor bucket. Right. And he's just making everything. And I'm like, wait a minute, Matt Nover can shoot like that? <laughs> because, like, he, you know, because obviously Matt Nover played inside so much and he was incredibly efficient. What, I mean, his field goal percentage was like 61, 62% that year. But I just remember thinking, wait, right. he can shoot like that. But that was kind of the thing with that team is, yeah, he was a great shooter, but was he better than Calvert and Greg and Damon and even Allen? You know, so everybody knew their role. And if you weren't kind of elite at something, you weren't doing it because there was someone else who was. And that always stuck out to me about that group, too. Oh, we, that team, really, you're right. They knew their role really well. But the other thing that made that team so dangerous, you just kind of hit upon it, was the fact that they were very versatile. Yeah. You could get a Cal- Calbert Chaney who was hitting the three, but if you got out on him because you didn't want him to hit that three, he had that quick first step. He was around you, and he was dunking over you. Mm-hmm. Same, th- same thing for Greg. In fact, a lot of people don't know Greg Graham became the first player in Big Ten history that year to lead the league in both three-point field goal percentage and just field goal percentage in general. As a guard. <laughs> that was the first. As a guard. Yeah, as a guard. And then you talk about Matt Nover. Well, against Notre Dame, Matt Nover takes a shot. With sixteen, with nineteen seconds to go, and we're only up by two points, but the clock's running out. The uh, clock's running out, and he turns around and nails a sixteen footer to put us up even more and assure us winning against Notre Dame. So yes, that team was very dangerous. So you had, think of the outside shooters you had in that team: oh, Albert, Greg, Damon Bailey, Brian Evans. Inside, you had Nover, you had Calvert again, you had Greg again, you had Alan Henderson. Yeah, yeah. You know, you it, it was so versatile. That well, and, was, and Alan was so good at stepping out, you know, from fourteen to sixteen feet and making that jump shot too. I mean, he he, he wasn't oh, shooting absolutely. threes, but he was such a versatile offensive player. I mean, he could just do so many things. Oh, Alan Henderson was one of the greats. I mean, he really was. Yeah, it, we were so fortunate to have and. Another thing about that team is the balance. And this is one thing you probably won't see in college basketball much anymore was the balance year-wise. And by that, I mean we had the seniors in Nover and then Greg Graham and Chris Reynolds and Calvert Cheney. We had the juniors, and, of course, Pat Graham came in with that group, but he was a redshirt junior that year. And you had Damon Bailey, and then you had Henderson as a sophomore, and then you brought in, um, and don't forget Larry also yeah, as a Larry. junior, and you had you had Brian Evans as a freshman. So you had a group of kids that had a variety of experience that fed off of one another as well. And again, there comes into that character and leadership of the seniors. They just weren't going to lose games. They really weren't. And, and, um, 
you know, Knight said, and I totally, you know, I totally believe everything that he said about that team is that had Henderson not been hurt, yeah, he really felt that team would have won a national championship. And I do too. Uh, there's a book missing banners and in the yeah. missing banners book, uh, we talk about some of the different teams uh, that should have won it all for various reasons. And the 75 and the 93 team, both are teams that had injuries not happened to really good players for that team would have won national championships So I mean, in all probability. You you know that I agree with you. Um, and obviously, you know, Coach Knight right. has said that. And I mean, so many IU fans look at those two seasons especially um, because of the injuries right. to Scott May and Allen Henderson who were, you know, no matter how you slice it, top 20 players in school history. Let me play devil's advocate on the 93 team because, you know, the reality is Indiana lost in the Elite Eight to Kansas a team that had already beaten them early in the season when they were at full strength. Now, you may have basically given the reason already, which is that Indiana lost that game because they shot terrible from the free throw line. But I guess what what makes you so confident that Indiana back at full strength would have beaten Kansas in the Elite Eight? Had Indiana just improved so much from the beginning of the season when they first played Kansas to the end? Was it just the simple fact that they should have beaten them the first time anyway, were it not for kind of a fluky free throw shooting night? Uh, how how do you make that argument to people who might say, well, they already lost well, to Kansas? I, I would, no, and you know what? I've had people, we've gone back and forth about this because it's a great argument, and you make a great point. Uh, the point I would make is about threefold. One is that was a really good free throw shooting team that wouldn't have normally shot as bad as they did against Kansas that that night. So I, I that's one argument. Secondly is... By the time that we played Kansas again with a healthy Henderson, we would have had a healthy Pat Graham back. So you've got another outside shot. He missed that first game because he got hurt in the Florida State. He missed the first game, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, he missed that first game against Kansas completely. And that's another big, big big-time shooter. Only only, only a 50% three-point shooter off the – one of the best shooters in school history that people don't remember because they didn't play as much, you know. Right. Yeah. Right. So, so, so there's your second one is you would have had a healthy Pat Graham back. And then the third, and you alluded to this already is the fact that that team through, through virtually the fact that they played so many, and I've talked about this a couple of times already, probably people are tired of it, but the fact that they have played so many top 25 teams in the year, they were battle tested. They were. They just got better as the season went along, and and so I think you know you never know. You know you can play this what if game forever, so you never know. Yeah. But I really feel like in my heart that had Henderson been healthy, because that was another big body you're missing. It wasn't like we took a guard out of the lineup, which we had an abundance of really good guards. Yeah. In fact, when Henderson got hurt, you know, we had to at times move Calvert from a three to a four. Yeah. And so it, those factors put together, I think, uh, make my argument as to the fact I think we would have beaten Kansas the second time. Yeah. Yeah, no, like I said, I mean, I uh, I agree with you on that. And, and the other thing is, too, 
it it kind of felt like destiny, right? I mean, if you look at Bob Knight's tenure at Indiana, you know, obviously he's got the the great teams in '75 and '76, and then you know you win that title, you kind of reload, and you know there you are, what you know, five six years later, in '81 they yeah. win again, and then you reload, and there you are six years later in '87 you win again, and now here we are six years later, it's '93 they had gone to the Final Four the previous year, it all felt like it was just coming together exactly how it was supposed to. And obviously, it didn't, you know, turn out as as everybody had hoped. So, you know, I want to get your perspective. I, I think, you know, one of the other people that I talked to for this made a really good point that one of the reasons why that '93 team is so special to so many of us is, you know, it, it's the last great, great Indiana team. I mean, the '02 team made the finals, and and that was a great achievement. Right. Obviously, the 2013 team spent a lot of time at number one. Was clearly a great team. Won a Big Ten title. You know, only made the Sweet 16, but still was a great team with a lot of memorable players. But that '93 team is the last, like, truly, truly elite team. And oh, I I'm, agree. I, and I I'm, agree I'm, I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you agree that that's part of the reason why that team has kind of a special place in the hearts of old-time IU fans because it was kind of the last great Bob Knight team and on top of that why is that like like why do you think that you know the program has really has never been able to get back to to that level again uh, since that team well a couple things first of all I think that team is so enjoyable to so many people because they were probably the last truly great team that we had that accomplished so many great things. Uh, plus they were so enjoyable to watch. Yeah. And we've touched on the fact that the players had such uh, they were so interchangeable and such a variety of talent uh, on that team. Why haven't we gotten back to that? Well, I know it's a loaded question. <laughs> I think there's a couple of things. No, no, I think there's a couple. I, I think there's a couple of things, and I'm not really going to uh, badmouth any coaches. I'm really not. Uh, but I think a couple of things. One, that was a time period. Again, I've mentioned that nine out of the uh, twelve players on the team were from Indiana. Now, uh, I'm not going to say you have to always have Indiana players now as the author of the book, Branch McCracken, who <laughs> would always say, I can beat anybody with Indiana kids. And, you know, look at some of the Indiana kids in the last few years who've gone other places and done truly great things that would have been nice if they'd have been wearing red and white and an eye across their chest, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that part of it is that just the scope of basketball has changed in general. The the fact that uh, kids aren't as enamored about playing at home as they used to be. I don't think it's as easy for a coach to go out and say, okay, I want all the Indiana kids coming here, or I want uh, this kid coming here, that kid. You know, Knight, while he did a lot of Indiana kids, Knight's recruiting area basically was Indiana Illinois and Ohio. That that was where his recruiting took place. Um, So I think it's not as easy to keep kids as close as it used to be. I'm not saying it's impossible because I don't think it's impossible, but it's not as easy to do that. Secondly, with players, if, if you look again, that 93 team, 
the two best players on that team, let's just say that they're the best players because they were both picked uh, to be first team all Big Ten and one was the player of the year. Both Cheney and Graham were both seniors. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult anymore for programs to count on kids being there four years and yeah. to develop to develop really I mean, really tremendous players that are four-year players. A, a, a kid like, I, I'm sure the people up at East Lansing were shocked that Bridges came back this year. Yeah. You know, and, and he's just a sophomore. So that also is really difficult. And then, um, you, you know, just getting the right person there at the right time. I, I personally think that Indiana has picked the right person at the right time to coach this team right now. I, you know, and I know people are going to say, speaking of you Archie see Indiana State? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm speaking of Archie. I think Archie is the right person. I think he's got the, I think he has the right temperament. He has the basketball IQ and he has the intensity to, to get IU back to being an elite program. Everything is there. Imagine, imagine if you're coaching uh, at IU now, which Archie is, and you're recruiting, imagine bringing some kid into assembly hall now, which has really, um, really been really stepped up. It's beautiful. But imagine walking in there, and these kids walking in seeing statues of players yeah. from the past. I mean, there are very few places in the nation that a kid's going to walk in and see a bunch of statues that are huge. I mean, they aren't little things. These are huge, beautiful statues to former players. Yeah. That has to have an effect. I mean, you walk in, it's like, well, you know, if I'm good enough someday, maybe I'm. Maybe I'll just statue in Assembly Hall. Yeah. In Simon Scott Assembly Hall. Boy, you know, you, you make a you great know. point, too, about it's just it's so hard for, you know, to, to get those seniors and guys who stay in school. Because, I mean, can you imagine now if Calvert Chaney steps on campus, scores 17 points as a freshman, and then, you know, what he right. scores as a sophomore, 21 points? I mean, is there any chance that he stays for all four years? Which is one of the reasons why his record's not going to be broken. <laughs> but, I mean, you, right. that's a great yeah. point. <laughs> Alan Henderson would have been, you know, there's no way he's a four-year guy anymore. Um, just with his size and the skill that he had. So, I mean, that that's a great point. And to have that kind of talent that was able to to stay together so long. Um, and, and look, I mean, it, that was that was the case in all of college basketball. I mean, other teams had that too. Um, so, Indiana was certainly competing on the same, oh, yeah. you know, a, a level playing field. But that has changed the dynamic. And I think it, I think it changes the ability for fans to develop that long-term relationship. I mean, I was a kid. I saw almost every home game Calvert Chaney played, you know, same with Greg Graham. And you just, right. I mean, you have four years to develop a relationship with a player like that. Obviously what they did on the court 
you know, endears them to you and that, you know, you're cheering and you're having all these great emotional moments with the team that locks you in, but just getting to spend so much time, you know, that's why watching a guy like Yogi Ferrell, you know, grow and develop over four years through ups and downs, you you develop a relationship with him as a fan that's different than, say, an Eric Gordon. And Eric Gordon is a great Hoosier, obviously, but it's just, you know, it's different. And I think you make a great point that that's part of what made that 93 team special is, man, we just got right. to experience so many moments with him, you know, and that it's well, like any relationship. So it gets stronger. Games. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, now see, this is Jared. When, and uh, this is when you need to be an old guy like me because – I try to play a mind game with myself because I totally agree with everything you say. I love seeing these kids go through the school and be there for four years. I really do. But, you know, I grew up with freshmen being ineligible. Yeah. So you only had three years with them. And as happened now, you know, the, the old adage now is the best thing about freshmen is to become sophomores, Mm -hmm. you know, with the old, that that adage was a sophomore could become a junior and senior. And so, I mean, you're looking at players like, uh, I look like Jimmy Rail. Yeah. One of the all-time great IU players, but his greatness was only his junior and senior year. His sophomore year, he really uh, scored very little. He scored some, but he did not have uh, the scoring that he had his junior and senior year. So uh, for really old people, we can try to mess with our minds a little bit. We can kind of trick our minds a little bit and say, well, if we can get two great years out of a player, I can really enjoy those two great years. But I really do think, and imagine as a coach, how tough it is to go out and try to recruit really great players and think, well, they may just be here one or two years. Yeah. And and that makes setting up your program tough. It really does. It does. Yeah, well, Bill, you have been incredibly generous with your time and your memories, uh, which are always so appreciated. Oh. Just as as a last question for you, I mean, we, we've talked about sure, a lot of memories. I, we can do this for hours, Jared. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> But we, uh, but you know, we 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 we've talked about so many memories. Is there anything else from that team? A a story, a memory, a moment that we haven't covered yet? Um, that when you think back back about that team, always sticks out to you. Well, um, we've covered a lot. Uh, I, <laughs> well, and you know I what's just, funny I, is I've I, talked I, with several other people, and everybody has different memories. You know, like, you know, for me, right. it's, it's being there in the gym when Calvert broke the record against Northwestern. I mean, that's, that's my oh, favorite yeah. sports moment of all time, you know, and there's, you know, and you mentioned, wouldn't you the, like the, to have that sign Calvert needs? Yes. <laughs> I, well, I've talked about that. I've talked about that with Chris Williams, who runs the, the IU Artifacts Twitter account, which is if I right. can have one right. piece of Indiana memorabilia from history, any piece of memorabilia, I want that sign framed in my office. That would be the one. So if you have a lead on where that is, let us know, because we want to hunt it down. Well, I know my son, who uh, designs clothes, uh, designed a shirt uh, and wore it last year to uh, Assembly Hall when he came back. He lives out in L.A. now. And he, he, wore, he designed a shirt that had Calvert's picture and that, sign on it oh, when he came back so that was fun is he, but, is he selling any extras because um, i'll buy one <laughs> <laughs> i'll talk to him i'll talk to him um i i guess just another one that we haven't even talked about at all that 
I really enjoyed was when the season was over with. And I think this speaks to the popularity of that particular team. When the season was over with, the seniors went on kind of a barnstorming tour in in Bloomington, or not in Bloomington, but in Indiana, of playing different games for people to come out and watch them one last time. Yeah. And and the it was incredible. Some of the scores were like 130, 170. I mean, it was <laughs> the show they put on was tremendous. And then after the game, they would have pictures of themselves, and they were signing autographed pictures of them of themselves to the fans that totally, I mean, totally loved it completely. And it was just, in fact, they had to go and schedule more games because they were sold out so many places that they were trying to get fans everywhere. And this is a team that had lost in the Elite Eight to Kansas. They didn't win at all. But people were so in love with this team that they came out to watch them one last time. And the only time I can remember that happening was back uh, Archie D's, the late Archie D's, back in 65 with the seven seniors that year. Uh, that was they were 19 and five McCracken's last year, and he took them on a barnstorming tour of Indiana, yeah. and and did the same thing. So I think that speaks when we talk again about the popularity of that team. I think that barnstorming tour they did after the season uh, talks about how much they were loved in the state of Indiana. That's amazing. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you shared that. That is a great note to end on. That was obviously, you know, kind of the note that that team ended on with the fans, and it was, it right. was great because you're right. It was it was one last opportunity for fans to show their love for this team, but also obviously for for the team to show their love to the fans, you know. And and I think which I think which right. they oh, did yeah. every night by respecting the game and respecting the 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 jersey and just you know always giving their all you know you never felt shortchanged by going to watch that team play because even if they lost i mean they played the game the right way they played hard they played together and that's all you can ask for and when they do that and at that elite of a level you know from a skill and talent perspective just makes for a couple of absolutely wonderful years watching basketball there's no question about it absolutely well jared i I have to tell you i have to thank you because i uh, love having the opportunity to talk about Indiana basketball with you. You do such a tremendous job. Assembly Call is a great program. I love listening to it. Uh, but I just want to thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on with you tonight. Oh, absolutely. No, I uh, I look forward to uh, to putting this out and. I think it, it's going to be good. We obviously allude to the 93 team all the time because Andy and I you know, just grew up loving that team. And so now that it's the 25th anniversary, I'm excited to put this out. And hopefully fans, I, what I hope that this is, is a great trip down memory lane for fans who remember that team and just can't get enough of talking and listening to the stories about them. But then also for the younger fans to... You know, to hear these stories about you know a time when Indiana basketball was the centerpiece of the college basketball world, and you know, for people who say you know who maybe wonder, well, wait, is Indiana really elite? Like, why do people make such a big deal about Indiana basketball? It's because of seasons like '93 that still have power to this day. Um, and so, I'm I'm just excited to share those stories with those who already love them, and hopefully, those who will come to love them. Jared, those people who wonder if we're still elite you can always tell them that we're still the only school in college basketball that has 
two coaches that have won multiple NCAA championships. That's right. No other school can say that. So we still have that going for us. And when you have as many people that would come into Simon Scott Assembly Hall and watch Crean's first couple years losing as much as they did, that speaks to the level of love that the Indiana people have for uh, IU basketball. Absolutely. And, and by the way, Chris, tell those people who want to uh, and I'll do a little self-promotion, get that magazine that Absolutely. Uh, yeah. came out that uh, we have the article in there about the 93 team. Yeah, that's from the uh, – is that the scout? I, I get it confused if it's the scout or the rival site. But Stu Jackson and uh, and Jordan Wells put that together, um, and it is it is right. phenomenal. Yeah, the it's, Hoosier Hoops magazine. It's called it's Hoosier Hoop, yep. previewing IU basketball for the 2017-18 season. And yeah, then, the Hoosier.com and, uh, is where to go to get it, the Hoosier.com. Right, yep. right. And, uh, and if you're at Assembly Hall, they're selling it at Assembly Hall. And they're selling it at TIS also. Excellent. Yeah, I, that's that was what spurred this, as I saw the article that you wrote about Calvert <laughs> and about the 93 team. And uh, I was like, that's right, it's the 25th anniversary. We need to spend some time talking about this team. So I'm glad we did. Right. This was wonderful. Well, thank you, Jared. Yeah. I appreciate it. Thank you, Bill. Hey. All right. Well, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Bill Murphy. I, I never miss an opportunity to talk IU basketball with Bill. He just has... Such an encyclopedic knowledge of everything that has gone on uh, with the IU basketball program, dating back as far back as you can go. Another person who has encyclopedic knowledge about IU basketball is Galen Clavio. And, of course, as I mentioned before, Galen has guest hosted a couple episodes of the Assembly Call this year when I've been out uh, and does a great job with Crimson Cast, a podcast that I listen to. Every time it comes out, Galen and Scott have been, I believe, podcasting the longest of any uh, IU basketball podcasters, longer even than we've had the assembly call going. So they've been doing great stuff. And, uh, you know, it, the other thing to know is if you want to actually watch some games of the 92-93 team, go to Galen's YouTube channel. And you can find it just by searching for Galen Clavio in YouTube. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Uh, but go there, and he has archived a ton of games, both from that season and from other seasons. So you can go through, scroll through, and you'll find a bunch of games. So you, you can actually see this team play. Because uh, if you've never seen them play, uh, they really they played some breathtaking basketball. So Galen and I, much as I just did with Bill, uh, we just we walked through some of the memories and some of what made that team special. Uh, and Galen, as he always does, has some really great insight and remembers some of the most minute details that uh, that I had forgotten. Uh, so I really enjoyed this conversation. I hope that you will as well. Here is my chat now with Galen Clavio about the 93 Indiana Hoosiers. All right. Well, I'm joined now by Galen Clavio, who runs the IU Sports Media Department, also a longtime IU fan, host of Crimson Cast. Uh, and I believe, Galen, you are someone who shares a favorite IU basketball team with me. Obviously, that team for me is the 93 Hoosiers, which I've talked about a lot. Uh, and it sounds like that may be the same for you. Yeah, that was, you know, you're, it's always the most special when you're like 12 or 13 years old. Yeah. And that was exactly where that team landed for me on the, the age developmental cycle. So uh, that's always held a soft spot in my heart. Yeah, the players are larger than life. And, you know, and I wonder, do we at all idealize that team too much? 
<laughs> like people people of our age because I mean obviously they were phenomenal. I mean, 17 and 1 in the Big 10, you know, number 1 for a lot of the season. You know, but obviously they lost in the Elite 8 and we can chalk some of that up to the injury. You know, but people certainly me and I think you too, we all kind of just assume that that was the best team in the country, should have won the national championship and it was stolen from us. Uh do we idealize that team too much or were they really that great? I mean, I think they were a really 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 good team. I think that partially because that was the last time that IU was truly this like from from beginning to end of the season this ridiculously dominant power which many of us grew up with in the 70s and 80s the fact that 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 moment is kind of frozen in time as the last moment of like you know transcendence for IU basketball i think that does contribute maybe to a little bit of overdeification of this squad but i think it's also easy to forget just how good that team was. I mean, there was an argument that the previous year's team was actually better. And to me, the 91, 92 and 92, 93 teams just kind of, you know, they're, they're, they're different sides of the same coin. It's hard for me to distinguish them really in my head. Um, so no, I don't, I don't think we overrate them. I think that uh, a full strength team in the NCAA tournament uh, I think they certainly get to the final four. I think they're able to beat Kansas in in that return game that they have against them. And I think that, you know, in the final four, I mean, they they demonstrated they could beat Michigan. They they I think they could have beaten North Carolina. I mean, there there were there were opportunities there that we never really got a chance to see. And and who knows? I mean, maybe maybe they would have lost in the final four for the second year in a row. But because they didn't, we can always assume that they wouldn't have. When you think back to that season and the moments of that season, which individual moments stand out the most for you? Man, there's a lot of them. And, <laughs> I, I, and it, it, it didn't take much jogging of my memory as I was preparing for this to think about it. I think the, the first memory that really stands out actually happened in the second game of the year where IU was playing Tulane in the preseason NIT. And they had a ridiculous lead. It was like a 25-point lead. And they ended up uh, like subbing in the the reserves. And this was not a terribly deep team. But Tulane ended up putting this big comeback in to the point that Bob Knight had to put his starters back in. And I remember him just raging at the reserves when they were back on the bench. Um, and, you know, that was actually a pretty good Tulane team. I think that Tulane team was like 17th in the country at the time. Perry Clark was coaching them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly remember in the, the NIT you know, losing Pat Graham in that Florida State game and that Florida State game being a lot of fun. The the Kansas game being kind of like the first wake up call, like, whoa, like this team is actually fallible, uh, you know, as they they missed some free throws, um, you know, and then but then, you know, really the, the real memories started in the Big Ten campaign. I mean, that great game at Michigan uh, that was, mm-hmm. I think, their, their third game in the Big Ten that year uh, where they. They went into a place that they had lost by eight points the previous year to a team that had been in the national title game, and there was so much anticipation around playing the Fab Five, and they just played a a tremendous game, one of the best-coached Bob Knight games I think I've ever seen. Um, Winning at Mackey Arena was a big moment that I can remember living, I mean, growing up in West Lafayette as an IU fan. That was a huge one because Purdue was kind of finally back that year. They had Glenn Robinson. They had Conzo Martin. Uh, so that game, the 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 Michigan or excuse me, the Penn State game at Penn State that went to double overtime. Yeah. Uh, I'll always have that one seared into my memory. 
Um, and then I think the last one that really stood out was the IU Michigan game in Bloomington that year. That was like a really standout game where just two incredible arrays of talent just going back and forth and, you know, the good guys winning in this case. Um, but really, I mean, I could, I could probably pick any one of like 20 games that year and give you some memory that I have off of watching that particular game or watching replays of the game and picking up things that I'd forgotten about. Yeah. I mean, I mean, you just named so many memories and that doesn't even include Greg Graham's, you know, ridiculous 26 for 28 from the free throw line and Calvert breaking the big 10 scoring record. I mean, there were some epic, Obviously, team achievements going 17 and one, but just some great individual achievements as well from a team that, you know, I mean, you just look at that roster and it's IU legend after IU legend. Yeah. And, and even, you know, things that ended up being moments that we weren't aware at the time were moments. Like, so the game at home versus Minnesota, which was a pretty good Minnesota team. I think Vashon Leonard was on that team. And, and the Big Ten was of, loaded back then. Oh, it was, that's, that, and that's what <laughs> Unbelievable. Makes that team. That team was so great uh, because it went 17 and one in a conference that had a team that played in the national title game, you know, had several teams that were stacked with NBA talent. Um, But like that Minnesota game at home, uh, which was, I think, at the end of January, IU ends up winning a very close game because they get a five second closely guarded call on Minnesota at the end of the game. And that led to like Clem Haskins flipped out and that, that led to, I think a change where there was no longer a five second closely guarded call. (laughs) And then there was another moment in the tournament when they played Xavier up at the RCA dome. And there was a shot made by Xavier with, I think like 12 seconds left. And Damon Bailey took forever to go get the ball and then go stand out of bounds and like wait to inbound the ball. And and IU ran like nine or 10 seconds off the clock just just because the clock didn't stop at that point after a made basket. And the next year it started stopping after made baskets. So like even things like that, that we kind of take for granted in college basketball, I feel like IU that season had a hand in creating. Uh, so it's, it's just, there's so many memories. There's so many things that, that still like I think about as I've been transferring tapes and going back and looking at these games so much, amazing stuff that stands out from that season you know you mentioned something earlier that that i think is so true about that team how it you know it 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 kind of stands there as this last moment when indiana was great you know kind of the indiana that you know even you and i i mean that you know i didn't really experience the the 70s obviously i wasn't alive then and i don't even really have memories of 87 but you know my really vivid memories of indiana basketball start with that you know the basically the cheney recruiting class and 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 all the achievements that those guys had can you you know for people for maybe people who are younger and weren't around then can you describe what it was like back then because 93 really did seem like the last time that Indiana was at the center of the basketball universe because you had this great team you know and then you had some some kind of extra things like you know Nick Nolte being in assembly hall as he was studying Bob Knight for the role in blue chips and then Indiana players in the movie blue chips and then you had the crazy Ivan Renko story and of course Bob Knight always being the centerpiece at you know press conferences in the NCAA tournament and some of the controversy there and then obviously great players like Calvert Chaney and Greg Graham I mean it really, I think that's part of why it felt like, you know, Indiana was just supposed to win that national championship because they'd kind of been on that run where they're winning one every five or six years, felt like the centerpiece of the college basketball universe. Everything was set up. And it's been so long now since we've experienced that. What, what was that like at that time? Well, it was, we didn't know it at the time, but it was the end of an 18 year run for IU as, 
you know, if not the dominant college basketball team, certainly one of the dominant college basketball teams. I mean, they won three national titles between, you know, 1973 and uh, 1975 and 1993. And they really, because of Bob Knight, because of the attention surrounding Bob Knight, and because his teams were just like so consistently hard to beat, even years that we don't necessarily remember as, you know, exemplary years, you know, after the fact, like 1983. I mean, that team was in the top 10 for large portions of the season. Um, and the two years leading up to this 92-93 season, I mean, that was a really good team. So, you know, I mean, the 91-91 the 90, uh, team was 29-5. and five. They were 15-3 and three in the conference. They, they went into the tournament ranked third in the nation. And, you know, after, I think, uh, an early hiccup, they were in the top 10 of the nation literally the entire year. 91-92 started second in the country. And then by the beginning of January, they were in the top 10 and they they were ranked fifth going into the NCAA tournament. And then we obviously just ran through that with 92-93. It was just so commonplace that IU was at the top of the college basketball mountain. And, you know, when people think about the way that uh, we look at Duke or Kentucky these days and just it's expected that Duke's going to be in the top five, it's expected that Kentucky's going to be in the top five. That was how we thought about IU basketball. I mean, it, it's really hard for people who didn't live through that, uh, you know, which basically is everybody that was born like 1990 or more recently than that. It's really hard for those people to get their heads wrapped around it. But uh, it didn't seem uh, abnormal. I mean, to have three teams that basically just sat in the top 10 of college basketball, you know, for three consecutive years. Yeah, that that team seemed to be a culmination. I mean, you know, it, it felt like the previous year's team could have won the national title. It felt like 92, 93 should have won the national title. Yeah. The other thing that has always been special to me about that group is just the individuals who comprised it. I mean, you had obviously a lot of, of guys from the state of Indiana, um, a lot of just outstanding players, but they just they seem to function so well as a team, uh, you know, and obviously, I mean, I didn't you know, know any of these guys, but what you kind of learned of them, you know, they seemed like such high character guys, just a really great interesting unique group of individual players too can you you know maybe pick out you know one or two or, or, or you know kind of go through some of the the top players on that team and just for you as you were growing up watching them what made those guys so special to cheer for so let me let me answer that question by comparing them to a team that everybody still loves from recent memory which is the 2012 2013 team I was about uh, to make that comparison before I asked the question. That's that's really I, funny that you said that. I mean, it's that, true. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know, both teams were put together, uh, you know, with with complementary pieces, with guys that were really dedicated to the central cause of, you know, IU winning a lot of basketball games, and, and that team oriented goal being the primary purpose of why they were there. And yeah, I think that's what made for me as a longtime fan that's what made that 12 13 team so special was because there just was this aura around them that you know they they were going to fill in for each other they were going to do what they needed to do to be successful and 92 93 was very much like that i mean i think that if you look at constructed teams that existed in the bob knight era certainly the 76 team takes the cake in terms of like each piece fitting in and complementing the other pieces but 
92-93 was pretty darn close to 75-76. And, you know, I mean, from the from the get-go, you of course, you had Calvert Chaney as kind of the centerpiece. And this is not a guy who was recruited with a lot of people thinking, oh, that's the centerpiece. I mean, was not that highly regarded in the media. I mean, certainly Pat Graham was a, a high, more highly regarded player. He was Indiana Mr. Basketball with that freshman class. Uh, Greg Graham coming out of Warren Central, gotten a lot of press. But Chaney had broken his leg his senior year of high school. He came from Evansville, which generally doesn't get the same sort of coverage in the state as people from southern Indiana or Indianapolis or, or even the region. Um, you know, so Chaney kind of breaking out like right away as a as a freshman and suddenly everybody realizes wow we're going to be able to build around this guy um and then you just you go across the board i mean you have alan henderson who i think to some degree might be the most underrated member of this team i mean you look at what alan henderson did statistically from the moment he stepped on campus and you look at the the incredibly important role that he filled on that team as a rebounder as a post scorer as a defensive presence I mean, to, to some degree, it's amazing to me that after his knee injury, that IU rallied the way that they did and, and basically only lost two games after the knee injury. One was the Ohio State game, and the other one was the uh, was obviously the game versus Kansas in the NCAA tournament. But, you know, th- that was a guy who I think there was even there was more fanfare and, and more lore surrounding him coming in because we'd watched him in high school at Brebuff. We'd watched him develop. Uh, you know, he took his team to the state title game back when it was still still single class basketball. They did get kind of annihilated by Gary Roosevelt with Glenn Robinson, but you you could see, okay, this is one of those like all time sorts of players that Bob Knight again has managed to bring to this program, and and he ended up having exactly that sort of a career. And and as a freshman sophomore, sophomore year was this ninety two ninety three season what he contributed on the floor was just, it was almost impossible to replace. And then of course you have Damon Bailey who's on this team who, you know, I, I, I've often wondered if part of the mystique of the 92, 93 season was because Damon Bailey was on that roster. Like if you sub in, you know, another similarly gifted player, but it's not Damon Bailey, do people still have the same sort of romantic notions about this team? And and to some degree, I think they do because, as much attention as Damon Bailey has had given to him over the course of time and as, as key of a member of that team as he was, everybody still looks at that team and says that was Calvert Chaney's team. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's a kind of a testament, not just to, to Calvert, but to how well Damon was able to fit in to the mix. And, you know, he, he, he didn't just play guard. I mean, no, he, he, he shoot from outside, but they posted him up on a regular basis because that was part of his game in high school. And he added a different dimension to that team that was difficult for people to guard because, you know, you're not expecting a 6'2 guy to, to be able to operate that well on the low post. And yet he was able to on many occasions. And of course, the guy who so often gets overlooked is Greg Graham, who <laughs> I was, was leaving absolutely... him for you. I was leaving him for you, Jared. I knew. I well, knew. because he was just phenomenal. I still I distinctly remember the Herald Times uh, headline, the best guard in America. I think it was after he had 32 points against Michigan State. I mean, he, you, you mentioned how Indiana rallied after Allen Henderson got hurt. I mean, in large part, it's because Greg Graham just took his play to another level. And I mean, he just he became unstoppable almost. And it was it was great to see because he was obviously the guy who had a bit of an up and down career but man did he finish on a on a high note i mean yeah i mean no his 
his, you know, statistically speaking, it, you know, his performance was just incredible. Uh, you know, you look at what he did his senior year. I mean, the guy shot 56%, 57% from two point range. He shot 51 and a half percent from three. Like how, yeah. like how, like how does that happen? I, I still have never, never gotten a good accounting. He, he was the second leading scorer on the team, 16 and a half points a game. He was the the second leading assist man on the team. He was tied with Chris Reynolds. He averaged about three assists a game, uh, you know, right behind Damon Bailey, who was the primary distributor. And I mean, he just was consistently in the right place at the right time throughout the course of the year. And so, you know, doing all of that, averaging uh, 32 minutes a game, was one of only two players on that team that averaged over 30 minutes a game. Calvert, of course, being the other one. Yeah, I mean, there's it would take too long to yeah. laud all of the players on this roster that deserved it. I mean, you know, the, the, the unsung guy to this point is, is frankly, it's Matt Nover. Yep. And, you know, Matt Nover was one of only two guys that started all 35 games that year. It was him and Calvert that started all 35 games. And, you know, a 6-8 six, six, guy playing center, a guy who preceded the recruiting class that brought in Cheney and the Grams. Uh, you know, because because Nover was actually the his 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 rookie is rookie year. His freshman year was that that last year that Jay Edwards was with the program. Yeah. So this is a guy who was the the one real bridge from the 80s teams to the 90s teams. And, you know, I mean, he averaged 11 points a game. He averaged six rebounds a game and was was really kind of a glue guy that. You know, when everybody else was getting covered, you know, you could dump it to Nover and he could, you know, put a reverse layup off the backboard and probably make it. Yeah, well, I believe he set a record for field goal percentage that season, didn't he? Until in, until it was broken by Thomas Bryant. Yeah, he shot 63 percent from the floor, which again, it's like the, this is a different era of basketball. Like yeah. for, for a lot of people, it's hard to get your head wrapped around some of the numbers on this team. I mean, you had, uh, you know, among the starters, you had. Calbert Cheney, who uh, who shot fifty five percent from the field, you had uh, Greg Graham, who also shot fifty five percent. You had Matt Nover, who shot sixty three percent, and then you have a guy in Pat Graham who comes off the bench and shoots fifty one percent. It's just it, it boggles the mind sometimes to think about how good that team was on offense. They averaged eighty six point seven points a game. And I mean, keep in mind that was an era when there was a 45 second shot clock. Yeah. You know, I mean, like the, 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 the offense, I, that might be the other thing. I mean, basketball really started to change after this season because in 93, 94, the 35 second shot clock comes in and the kind of patino ball, like long range three game really took hold. I mean, certainly IU shot threes that year, but, but the, the tenor of the way college basketball was played really did start to change in 93-94. And, and the sort of you know like uber-dominance of Bob Knight-coached offenses that we had seen for the previous 20 seasons started to wear down a little bit because rules changes were going into effect to basically take away some of the advantages that that system of ball had. And so, you know, th this was the last team that really, I think, fully demonstrated the offensive dominance that you could have under a, a classically coached Bob Knight team. Yeah, well, I, I've taken so much of your time already, and I appreciate it. Is there any? Are there any other memories or any other thoughts about the '93 team that we haven't addressed that you'd like to like to state I, before we end here? 
Well, I think you, you hit on something at the beginning of the podcast that I, I echo and I'll expand on a little bit. You know, I, I was born in 1979, and so I was – conscious of IU basketball you know my dad would watch it and I would watch it with him and we'd watch it as a family I mean it was it wasn't just like me and him it was the whole family mm-hmm. and you know I can remember hearing about Isaiah Thomas and the 81 team or hearing about the 76 team but I was not old enough to remember that you certainly I was not born when the 76 team was in in action and I wasn't old enough to remember watching the 81 team and even though I was certainly alive and conscious and, and very much remember watching the uh, the Syracuse IU game in 87, you know, I was I was seven years old when that game happened and that whole tournament run happened. And, you know, when you're seven, there's just you're not quite as in touch with what's going on. Um, you know, there's things you don't totally understand. The 89 team, I remember watching a lot of those games, but this was really like this, this stretch, particularly 91, 92, and then 92, 93. This was really when I was fully invested in being an IU fan. I was fully invested in the players. I was paying really close attention to every game. I was, you know, I was taping every game. I'd go back and watch the games and try to figure out what was going on. You know, this was... I think, you know, for people of my age, this was like the f- the first team that was like really truly yours yeah. uh, in a way that the 81 or the 87 teams weren't. And it's like, oh, OK, now we're part of the mystique. You know, all these things that we've heard our parents talk about that they were able to experience or our older brothers or sisters. Now, this is like this is the, the turf that we have uh, that we can demonstrate. OK, we're, we're part of the mythology and the lore of IU basketball as fans because we've been able to witness this with our own eyes. And, you know, so I, for me, that's why it'll always have a soft spot in my heart because it, it mattered a lot as a young fan. And I still think back on it fondly, even, you know, 25 years later, because, um, even though I don't think that IU has had, I think they've had one season that was kind of comparable in terms of, the the atmosphere surrounding the program since then and it was that 12 13 team um the fact that i can still remember what that atmosphere was like from 25 years ago it always kind of pushes me forward and and makes me think wow you know i hope we were able to have that again i think we're going to have it again and you know i have something to compare it to yeah you know it's funny that you mentioned that because when i think about why do I care so much about Indiana getting back to being elite and, you know, hanging another banner and being a great program? Like, I really, I don't think it's so much like that I want to experience another great moment. I mean, I do, but I'm fairly confident that there's nothing that will ever happen in IU basketball that will be greater than seeing Calvert break the Big Ten scoring record or just all the moments I experience going to those games with my dad. Like, nothing will be more special. But I want the other young fans to have their 93 team and these memories that, whether you idealize them or not, they're like these special parts of your childhood that are just, they're comforting and they're awesome and they, you know, and they lead you to, you know, have it be a punchline that you always talk about Greg Graham with such, you know, such affection. But, you know, I want the other younger fans growing up to have that because that's what locks you in and makes Indiana basketball something special for you for life. Um, well, and just, and just, just to know that that's possible, you yeah. know, I mean, I imagine, you know, IU fans in the, you know, in the, in 1972 sitting around thinking, Oh God, you know, it's been 20, <laughs> 20 years basically since we made a national title and we've only made like two NCAA, three NCAA tournaments since then. Um, yeah. Remember the good old days? Yeah. I kind of <laughs> feel like that's what we're in right now. And so, 
Um, I, I'm okay with this idea that we can look back on this team a quarter of a century later and still have fond memories of it and, and talk about how the you know the 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 atmosphere surrounding IU basketball used to be preeminent. It, it used to, it really did used to be the the sort of thing that you'd look at the same way we look at the top programs of the country right now. And you know the, the idea that IU can get back to that I think is is certainly not a foolish one. Um, so it's nice for us I guess to have some memories to look back on and say, hey, young people. It, it can be great because it was great at one point and all the pieces are still there for it to be great again. Yep. Absolutely. Well, Galen, thank you for your time. I appreciate thank it. You. And, and, and on behalf of all IU fans, thank you for the archive project that you've done on <laughs> YouTube with all the videos. I'm going to post those in the show notes for this. Uh, cause man, it is so much fun going back and watching some of those old games. It's great. It's, it's a labor of love. It's uh it's one of those, I've still got more games to do. I've got some, Less exciting years to transfer, but I'm trying to get all the all the 91, 92, 93 games out there so people can enjoy them. So hopefully, if you haven't, if you've never listened or, or watched a game or never listened to Don and Max do a game, go check out some of those archive videos. You'll find that they're a lot of fun. Yeah, they are great. All right, thank you, Galen. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jared. All right, and last but certainly not least on this trip down memory lane, Chris Williams, who runs the IU Artifacts Twitter account. Definitely make sure that you are following that account. Some of the artifacts, some of the the pictures and memories that he digs up and posts on Twitter are unbelievable, and he does the same thing for our IU Artifacts article series at assemblycall.com, so definitely check them out. Uh, But Chris also has... Uh, some excellent insights, some great memories of the 93 team. And so we will wrap up the celebration of the 93 Indiana Hoosiers here with my chat with Chris Williams, a.k.a. IU Artifacts. All right. Well, I am pleased now to welcome to the program Chris Williams. You know him better as IU Artifacts uh, on Twitter, at at IU Artifacts Twitter account. I sure hope you're following that by now. And of course, his great IU Artifacts articles that you can find at assemblycall.com. One of the most knowledgeable people about the history of IU basketball that I have come across and certainly one of the most enthusiastic. Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you. How are you doing? Doing well. I'm doing very well. I uh, am always excited and have a little extra hop in my step when we're talking about my favorite sports team of all time, which is the the 1993 Hoosiers. And that's why I've kind of convened this expert panel of uh, of folks who remember that team fondly to kind of share memories. And really, I think what's also important is just providing the perspective and the context of that team. Because, right. you know, especially for younger fans, it's so easy to forget how... You know, there was a time when Indiana was the center of the college basketball universe, you know, and 93, you know, was really still at the pinnacle of that time. And of course, we all thought that that season would end with a national championship. It didn't. Um, but what are your, you know, before we get into the specifics, just you know, when you think about that season and, and kind of what it represented and where Indiana was in the college basketball landscape then, what do you think about? Oh, well, I think about the success is kind of centered around that magnificent class that was brought in in 89, you know, the Tribune article that kind of dubbed them the the greatest recruiting class. You know, you think about the fact that a guy like Calvert Chaney, who really was the centerpiece of that 93 team was really the most underrated player and, and not, it was probably the least heralded of the major guys in that group. Obviously Lawrence Funderburg kind of was the leader of that group. And obviously his time at IU wasn't very long, but I just remember, you know, the, 
the success with the, you know, with the 89 team and then that bridging in after Jay Edwards left, it was kind of like a continuation and they were able to play really solid basketball. And then the 91, 92 team that kind of, I think surprised a lot of people with making it all the way to Minneapolis for the final four was, was something that, you know, losing to Duke and then, you know, losing the way we did. And I think we can all agree that we got hosed by the, the ref, the refs and that. And I think, you know, no Indiana, true Indiana fan that can remember that will ever forgive Ted Valentine for that game. And no matter how heroic Todd Leary was at the end, it was just not meant to be. And, you know, I, I remember on that team, you know, my favorite players, obviously, like everybody's was, was Cheney, but I loved Eric Anderson and I got to meet him a couple of times. And, it, you know, you can speak in the same way as I can, as, as well as several others from who were youngsters in that generation, these were, these were our guys. I mean, we looked up to them the way kids today looked up to Victor Oladipo and OG Ananobi. These are the kind of kids that took their time to, to be genuine with, with young kids and, and took the time of day to take pictures and took the time of day to sign autographs. And it was a big deal for us. And, you know, seeing our heroes on the court, um, it, it was, it was big. And, and I, so I remember, even as a, a nine-year-old going into ten, going into being ten in the spring of '93, I remember a, a lot of excitement. I mean, I don't think the excitement could parallel, you know, the disappointment in '74, '75, going into '75, '76. And granted, you and I, you know, we weren't around for that directly. We can hear all the great stories about it, but it was a big deal because there was a lot of high expectations for that '92, '93 team with the core nucleus of that group coming back. And I just remember being excited. And I remember the exhibition games being exciting for fans to go to. So just at the beginning of the year, I mean, that was the thing. I mean, every moment felt exciting. Every moment felt important and epic with that team all the way, you know, from the exhibition games to the preseason NIT, obviously all the way up through the tournament. And I don't, I don't, think Indiana has ever really recaptured that. You know, I know, uh, you know, I've talked with some people that, you know, that kind of feel like the, that group that Indiana had in 2012 and 2013, obviously they didn't reach the the levels of success that the 92 and 93 teams did, but there was a a bit of a similarity just in terms of how, you know, especially in in 2013, obviously when Indiana's preseason number one and, you know, kind of there, you know, again, you know, back somewhat in the center of the college basketball universe and just, the relationship that fans had with those players, you know, that, you know, that, you know, for maybe if you're younger and you're, you're having trouble putting it into perspective, that's probably the closest comparison that we've had certainly in recent IU basketball history. Yeah. The quality of the players, I'm not here to bash any of the guys that played in the Samson era, but there was a lot of guys that I don't remember kids really being able to connect with those, those teams on a personal level. And because so many of the guys were, it, it just didn't seem like a like the the traditional team that we had we had had and and I just mean that you know if I was a youngster I don't know if it, if I would have been able to make connections with a lot of those guys and just because they weren't here very long so many of those JUCO players and I just think that yeah yeah like those teams that came in in twelve and thirteen you know you had you had like I mean Cody Zeller was a huge deal coming in when he did for that program. And, and guys like Jordan Holes from Bloomington and, and, and obviously Yogi. And I just remember that was about as excited as I had been in recent years for a basketball team because a lot of people were bringing back the fact that, okay, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a Big Ten championship for the first time in 20 years. 
and it's a kind of basketball, you know, and, and team that guys in our generation growing up with those 92, 93 teams, you know, the style of play is different, but it has the same excitement from game to game. You know, you're, you're just in it all the time and, it, and it's, it's a real feeling. And there was a maturity about, I think that was the other thing that kind of connected those two teams. You know, there, there was a real maturity about them that I think allowed, you know, fans older and young to really connect with them, which is part of what made them special. Uh, let's talk about some of the individuals on that team. You know, you mentioned, you know, look, everybody, especially, you know, if you were young watching those teams, you were going out in your driveway and you were pretending to be Calvert Chaney and you were taking your baseline jump shots and you were, you know, I mean, even righties like me, you know, you're trying to shoot lefty like Calvert. Talk a little right. bit about him, because obviously, you know, he put that number out there, 2,613 points that I don't think, I mean, I think pretty much everyone assumes that's not going to be touched because anybody who'd be good enough now is not going to stay in school long enough. Um, right. And, and I mean, he just, the, from the moment he stepped on campus, the guy just scored points and almost, yeah. it almost felt like he was built in a lab to function in Bob Knight's offense. I mean, he yeah. was just the, the prototypical player. Yeah, and he, the thing I always remembered, and I, I, I didn't get to go to a lot of games that year because, you know, I was the nine-year-old and the ten-year-old, and when push comes to shove, my parents and my grandparents were going to go to the games, and I had I stayed home and I got to listen to Don Fisher and Max Kerbin, which was nothing bad at all. I mean, and I would rather listen to them and watch it on the on TV. But I remember the biggest thing I remember about Cheney from, from that time period is he was always smart with the ball. I mean, he never, he never forced shots. He never seemed to put up a shot that was, that was forced. And I, you know, the amazing thing about him was he shot so well from the field and from the three point line. And like you said, he was plugged in so well in that motion offense that it was just kind of like centered around him, but he moved so well without the ball. He was so athletic. He could just do, and he could play so many positions. I mean, he could play, the two, he could play the three, and if he was asked to, he could probably play the four if it, if he was absolutely necessary. But he was so fluid. I mean, he just he glided on the floor, um, and, and and to me, it was just so fun to watch. It, it, you know, there was nothing, there was nobody, and, and that team had so many good players on there. You know, Greg Graham was such a great scorer. Brian Evans, as a freshman, came in and played really well. And, and the thing that I always remember about that team is that they were only ten deep. That was so amazing to me about that team because Malcolm Sims, who's, you know, like our, I, I don't know why I have this weird obsession with Malcolm Sims because he left early and, you know, blossomed at Cleveland State. But he left and, you know, and, and, and Lindemann got redshirted, but they played 10 deep. Yeah. You know, they played and the rotation and every one of those guys on that team, those 10, was a pivotal player on that team. I mean, Pat Graham, I mean, I loved that guy and he just had so many injuries in his career. And he, you know, he was such a great scorer in high school and he came in, but he, he had his moments, um, that season where he was able to contribute. And then obviously Chris Reynolds, he was just kind of like the spark on defense and he was, and he was the playmaker and he kind of, you know, he ran the boat and everything. And, and it was just so much about it. And they were just so fun to watch, but it was all, it was all centered around Calvert and Calvert, you know, he, he was the man for that team and and he, there was always accountability by the players. It all, there was always a, a situation where somebody was taking initiative to correct something on the floor. The leadership was six deep on that team. Yep. Every one of those seniors was a leader, and 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 the other underclassmen they knew their role, but they also um, 
it was just amazing to see how well they sync together. It was, it's just, it was fun ball to watch and, and they played so well together. What are some of the individual memories from games that season that really jump out when you think back? Well, I remember, I, I think, I can't think of the specific home game that I went to. It, I, I it might've been, Oh, uh, I don't think it was the Ohio state. I mean, obviously the Ohio state loss over there, that kind of was the the only major blemish because I think we had only lost to Kentucky and Kansas that season. Yep. If I'm mistaken. I mean, mm-hmm. it was unbelievable and how we had such a difficult schedule. If I recall our preseason early games was just like boom, boom, boom against all these tough opponents. And I remember the Big Ten season, a lot of lopsided victories. I remember I remember going to um might have been a Penn State game where we beat them by like 50 points or something like that. Mm-hmm. That I mean, that's what I remember. I remember, you know, going to one of those games where we hit the century mark, and I just remember everything was clicking. And I remember watching the Ohio State game in Columbus and and just thinking. And this would this would have been the second game after Henderson's injury because Henderson got hurt. His ACL injury was right before that Purdue game, yep. and I remember we were able to win the Purdue game. And I think a lot of it had to do with building up the morale and trying to get the team. I remember we beat them pretty handily, the Purdue game, but I just remember going to, to, and there was a lot of concerns about going over to Ohio state because I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Jim Jackson was on that team and, and on that 90, was he on that 93 team? I can't remember if he Ohio was on state? that team or if he graduated the year before, or if he left I early the year before. I can't remember, but I just, I, I recall being devastated and my dad saying, well, you know what? It's it's just one blemish. I said, well, dad, they were undefeated. You know, we yeah. hadn't been undefeated in Big Ten and God knows how. I mean, it was probably 76, if I'm not mistaken. But mm-hmm. I, I just remember the loss being such a gut and gut punch. And I remember that Penn State blowout game vividly. And I, I, I just remember we were all living and dying by every game, you know, and, and me and my friends – like you say, we were playing pickup ball and we were pretending to be Brian Evans. We were pretending to be Damon Bailey, which I, I, I previously admitted. <laughs> Jeez, I mean, you know, I think it was, yeah, Cheney and, and Bailey were probably my two favorites on the team. But every one of those guys were just great guys in general. They were the kind of guys that you would have no concerns about pro- approaching outside of the, off the floor, off the court. And they were just genuinely good guys. And I just remember it, it was a great year to follow. IU basketball and it was just so much excitement for a kid for kids our age yeah. because it, it, there was just so much for us to enjoy about and so much for us to be proud of I think it's a good year for IU sports in general I mean the football team was. Was, I think that was the year the football team started out seven and one if I'm not mistaken That's beat correct. Michigan State 10 nothing you know they were seven and one I think they lost to Penn State and Ohio State thereafter but right. you know everything just kind of felt like it was you know working together which was really nice right. Um, okay, so you're a collector, so I'm yes. interested to get your perspective on this. I think you and I have talked about this, and I've told you that like, if, if there's any piece of Indiana memorabilia that I could have, just like my dream piece of memorabilia, I could snap my fingers and get it, I want that Cheney Needs One sign. I would frame yep. that and hang it up, and it would be amazing. Obviously, there's only one of them, and who knows what happened to that. Um, yeah. That would be mine. What is, what's the favorite piece of memorabilia from that team that you have, and is there like a holy grail from that particular team for you? Well, uh, I have a pair of Cheney shoes that I'm pretty sure were used that season. So that's pretty cool. Damn. Um, yeah. I, 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 a friend of mine had gotten them through the university when they had a huge surplus of shoes 
years and years and years ago. And the guy had told him, yeah, this is a pair of Cheney's. I don't know what game it was and all that. And I've done some research into it, but I'm pretty certain it was from some part of that that season. I mean, I would like – one of the things I don't have a lot of is, is game basketballs. I would love to have a game basketball from one of those – See one of those games that season, one of those victories, and I, you know, um, you know, Cheney's jersey would be great, but that that deserves to be on display, and they have one at Cook Hall, and it may very well be I can't I can't remember what the sign says, but it very well very well may be from that season. But that kind of stuff is is stuff that everyone should be able to enjoy. But I, you know, something like a game ball, or you know, it you know, it sounds weird, but like Henderson's ankle. ACL brace or oh, knee man. brace would be kind of, I know it's just kind of, I that's, don't know. It's weird. Morbid. But, yeah. <laughs> would, I know, would that I know, make I you know. cry? Like every time you saw it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That might be regretting that, but you know, I, I just looked at that picture of the Cheney needs one and I, I, I gotta, you know, I know you and I talked about this earlier. We got to find that guy. I mean, surely he was smart enough to, you know, because I remember if I recall, he had, pieces of paper over it that said Cheney needs three and Cheney yeah. needs one. I, I remember it was like a countdown. Yeah. And, 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 but it's just so iconic because, you know, he's elevating in the shot and then you can see that in the background. It's just like a perfect, uh, a comparison, but I, I would take a game ball, maybe the ball that, that Cheney shoots that, oh, that man. bucket with would be amazing. And I hope he has it. I mean, I hope that he was able to keep something from that, that moment. I hope he does too. I mean, that, that moment, that was by far the coolest sports moment I've ever, I've ever seen live. I mean, because everybody went into that game knowing like, okay, we're playing Northwestern. They're not very good. (laughs) I don't remember exactly how many points he needed, but it was almost for sure that he was going to get it. And I mean, he just came out on fire and he got it pretty quickly. If I recall, um, yeah. and I just remember the moment cause everybody knew, you know, once he got down to one, I mean, you know, he gets the ball and I mean, when he took that shot, it was so quiet. And then when it went through just absolute pandemonium, like, yeah, I don't know that I've heard assembly hall. I mean, in the games that I've personally been to as loud for an individual moment as, I mean, everybody oh, sure. just erupted for that. It was so cool. And then of course, coach Knight stopped the game to honor Calvert Cheney. I mean, Kind of unprecedented. Oh, I mean, you know, you talk about a coach who was, you know, obviously all about the team and not about singling out individuals. And for him to stop a game and single out Calbert Chaney, I think it just shows you what Calbert meant to him as a player, you know, and I think showed you the kind, you talked about leadership earlier. I mean, you know, just the, the maturity and leadership that he had, you know, throughout his entire career at Indiana, you know, just such a special player, such a special moment. I mean, that'll, you know, man, you, you know, you, you watch a guy score so many points being at so many of those home games and then are there at the end for a shot like that. I mean, that'll just lock him in as your favorite athlete of all time, <laughs> you know, cause yeah. you know, those guys that you, that you watch when you're young, like we were then those, you're never going to find sports heroes like that again. You know, I mean, that's, that's kind of when those, those things are set. Um, and there's a yeah. whole generation of IU fans, just like there's a generation of IU fans who, you know, the 76 guys and a generation of IU fans who, you know, Don Schlunt is the, you know, and, and, uh, uh yeah. And, and, uh, and Slick Leonard, you know, are, are, are their guys. I mean, it, and that's, you know, I guess and I've talked about this, you know, with other people, you know, when I cheer for Indiana now, you know, and want the program to get back to producing more seasons like that, you know, I want younger IU fans to be able to make those same connections. Because there's, there's got to be, 
something special has got to come together like it did in 2013 where you've got, you know, a unique group of guys that are really good and it's, a, you know, kind of a special season. They achieve something important, you know, maybe over the course of a couple of seasons and that really locks them in and it gives you those memories that you carry with you for life and that lock you in as an IU fan forever. And obviously, right. as we kind of alluded to, there's a big gap between 93 and 2013 where that didn't really happen. Um, and obviously, we all hope now yeah. that, that that will keep happening in the future because that's what makes being a, a sports fan special, you know? Absolutely. I agree. So what else? What other memories do you stick out from from that season that, that we haven't discussed uh, yet? I, I remember the postseason. And I remember being just, you know, we we we, we go into the tournament and, you know, I, you know, we got to play in Indianapolis and I remember that being a big deal. And I remember going to the practice and I'm pretty sure if I'm not mistaken, the practice was when they laid on the floor and they said, thank you. Yeah. And night was the exclamation point. I remember going to that. <laughs> I remember that being really cool because I was like, oh my God, is he really getting on the floor? Yeah. I just thought he wouldn't, he would never do that. But I just, I remember being positive going into the tournament, but I had to be a realist because, you know, we were undersized and, and, and it got as much as I loved Matt Nover and, you know, he was from Chesterton and I lived just outside of Chesterton when I was a really little boy. And so I had that connection with, I just remembered, I don't know how far we can go. And, you know, and I remember that Kansas game, you know, we took care of Louisville and then we go into Kansas and I remember, you know, we were, we had a tough, I think, I mean, I think it was only, we only lost by like five to Kansas in the previous season, four or five points. But I just I for whatever reason I didn't have a good feeling going to that Kansas game because I can't remember it was that was that Jacques Vaughn and um, Ostertag was that were those guys on that am I thinking of the entire am I totally off base here I can't even remember I, I thought it was remember. Greg Ostertag and Jacques Vaughn but anyways one I thing just I'm remember. actually happy about is one game I don't really have much of a memory of is that game because yeah. I think like my parents had some party or something that we went to and so I didn't actually get to watch that much of it. <laughs> Um, right. And I'm really glad because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't. Yeah, I don't remember if it was something where we we just, you know, I, I think going into it, I think we were going to lean so heavily on our outside shooting. And I think we were able to keep with him for a while. But I, it could have been that Nova got in foul trouble. because. But then again, you know, it, it was just one of those things where it was clear that not having an Allen Henderson and I'm not making a perfect comparison because my uncles who are older than me always yell at me and say, you can't compare Scott May to Alan Henderson and all that. But it was kind of like a similar thing because that 75, you can't, I think you can in some ways, but Alan Henderson's because, one of the 10, 15 best players that's ever played at IU. So, I, agree. I, mean. <laughs> I completely agree. I remember seeing Jay Query's stat that and I didn't even realize this, that he had the highest scoring average of any player that played in the night years, which blew my mind because I thought for sure it was May's average, but you know, I, I remember thinking, so this is must be what it feels like when my parents tell me how good the 75 team, and this was when I was 10, was, and but how much Scott May was a critical part of that team. And now it was clear so how just such a big piece Alan Henderson was to the success of that 93 team because all the pieces were there. And when you have that one piece that is so such a pivotal part now – gone it it really shows some some weaknesses down low you know all right my last my last question for you about the 93 team do you have any ivan rinko memorabilia oh gosh i have (laughs) 
I had the newspapers. I remember my grandparents, my grandfather, who worked for the university at the time, was like fascinated with like finding out. And he'd heard all these things about his buddy had gone to the news to the Indianapolis airport. And somebody had said it was paging Ivan Rinko. And he swore he heard it and all this stuff. <laughs> I think I have a shirt. I don't have no idea where it is. I have a shirt that had something to do with Ivan Rinko. And I can't remember if it like it had, it, it had something on there, but I don't think it had an image of like what Ivan Rinko supposedly looked like. But I just, I, you know, there's got to be more out there. there. I would love to be able to like, find one of the recruiters notes because, you know, the whole thing was Knight was setting up all those recruiting guys to try to prove his point, which I find humorous, but somebody has got to have the notes of like, you know, Ivan Rinko, you know, he's, he runs the floor so well, he can catch the ball in transition <laughs> and find the open man. There's got to be something yeah, like whoever that. Whoever was the cool. friend for back then that was kind of like, exactly. no, he's the international guy, probably scrambling like, wait, how did I miss this guy? <laughs> oh my God. I, yeah. But I remember the newspaper articles and I remember the stories and I remember my dad coming home and he never, he never bought into it, but he thought it was just funny and he kind of figured it was it was a crock from the beginning, but uh, what a fun time with that story. I mean, night, night, was a genius with that thing because it really worked out exactly as he planned it. It would. So it was, yeah, his, his antics sometimes didn't always work out quite like he planned. And sometimes I don't know that there was much of a plan, but that one, yeah, that one worked out pretty well. Yeah. And and he was set out to do something. He did it. So yeah. And it's just, it's just another layer that made that such a unique, special, entertaining season to, uh, to watch for fans. Well, Chris, I appreciate you uh, sharing some memories about uh, that, that obviously very memorable team uh, with us here on the show. Thank you. I will never, uh, never not want to talk about that team. So yeah. it's kind of how I feel. Yep. <laughs> That's how I feel. All right. Make sure you follow him at IU Artifacts and check out his articles on assemblycall.com. Thank you. Good talking to you. All righty. And that will do it. An hour and 40 minutes later. If you made it this far, then you are officially a 1993 Indiana Hoosiers diehard. Uh, just like all of us that you heard uh, featured here. I was going to get Andy on here. We never did a recording, but obviously if you listen to the to the show, Andy and I talk about this team a lot. Uh, so maybe we'll do another episode later on in the year. We'll get Andy on. Uh, and I'm still I'm working on a couple of interviews. I haven't been able to lock them down yet, but I'm working on a couple of interviews. You can probably guess who I might be trying to interview uh, to talk more about this team. So if I can get those locked down, I will definitely be bringing you those. Uh, moving forward. But I hope you enjoyed this. I certainly had a lot of fun. I'm really glad that I was able to share it with you. And uh, with that said, again, have a Merry Christmas. Have a wonderful week. And we'll be back to talk with you all on Thursday for Assembly Call Radio and then for the postgame show after IU Youngstown State on Friday. And then it's Big Ten season and we'll, uh, we'll see see what our Hoosiers have in store for us. Hopefully, the uh, the Tennessee Tech game was much more of a harbinger of what's to come than the Fort Wayne game. That's, uh, that's the wish that I think we all hold right now. All right, everybody. Merry Christmas. I will talk to you next week. From earaches to strep tests, there's Minute Clinic at CVS. See a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials. Or see us online with telehealth options. That's healthier made easier. Visit Minute Clinic at CVS today. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Sticky notes, email alerts, a string around your finger. They're just not big enough. So here's a big reminder from the California Lottery. Tonight's Mega Millions jackpot is over $250 million. Play now. Please play responsibly. Must be 18 years or older to purchase player client. 
Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates North Park, Illinois.